Welcome to The Map of You, a podcast about formative media from when we were young. I'm Lucas Brown. On this, our 40th episode, I'll be talking to Cherry LaRuckus, DJ and pinup model, about John Wayne movies and both kinds of music, country and western. Along the way, we'll discuss the whiplash dastardly family tree, the punch clock cartoon villain, and why, when you go to Nevada, it's best to bring a parasol. We'll finish the show with our signature cocktail and let you know how you can become a guest on the map of you. We join this conversation already in progress. who may not know you, why don't you say who you are and what makes you a beautiful and unique snowflake? Oh, goodness. Well, I'm Cherry LaRuckus. I am a DJ, pinup model, and a hairstylist. I spend an awful lot of time on Tumblr and Instagram, and so you can see a lot of my work there. I also have been working on this fan project for the Fallout fandom. It's called Fallout Minnesota. It's just starting to kind of get up and running in like a serious direction, but you can seriously just look it up on Tumblr and like all the information that I've been posting is there. I now have to make the obligatory joke that Fallout Minnesota, or as most people call it, Minnesota. Minnesota, yep, yep. (laughs) Just a terrifying wasteland. I come from the land of ice and snow. It's a weird place, Minnesota. I love it. But like when I was living in Texas, I would describe Minnesota to the people that I worked with and they didn't believe me. They're like, that's impossible. Like, that's uninhabitable. <laughs> like, no, it's fine. Like, there's a lot of people there. And I feel like I get this a lot, especially with people who have lived in both the south or west of the states. And then we'll talk about the north and stuff. And it's like, yeah, it's really not that far but there is such a disparity between how everyday life goes based around the weather. And I mean, like I can tell cold weather stories till the cows come home and then talk about how the cows used to freeze and explode in Canada. But it's just like, <laughs> it's one of those things where, yeah, people just assume you're boasting or joking. And you're like, no, I am deal- I'm used to dealing with the fact of life and how like in the 90s when I had long hair because it was the 90s and I would take a shower before high school and go out to wait by the bus and my hair would freeze before I got on the bus. Oh, yeah, that's a real thing. Yeah, and then you have this, like, melting trickle of ice down your back for the rest of the morning. It's awful. Oh, oh, yeah. We had a winter here about two, three years ago where we had, like, a polar vortex that lasted about two and a half months. Where the temperature was, before the wind chill, still below freezing. Like, that was the high for the day, was, was like, 10 below. Mm -hmm. And then, like, it was 40, 45 below with the wind chill for two and a half months. And my friends in Texas didn't believe me. I was, like, sending them screenshots of, like, my weather app. Like, guys, (laughs) save me. (laughs) And what's fun about when it gets that cold is that you don't need to do conversions between Celsius and Fahrenheit because minus 40 is the same on both scales. (laughs) Is it? Yeah, it's a weird quirk of how it's measured, where minus 40 is minus 40 everywhere. (laughs) 
I didn't know that. But that's perfect because, yeah, that gets the point across real well to anyone that lives anywhere. Like, no, it's negative 40. And they're like, oh, fuck. Like, <laughs> Because everyone hears that and they assume, oh, it's an exaggeration because they're using the other scale. It's like, oh, no, no, no. No, no, that's it. It balances. Because at that point, no one wants to do the conversion. They're just like, it, it is so cold. I don't care. It's just, just put it minus 40. That's what it feels like. I don't care. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was, okay. So I was having a discussion with my girlfriend, Erin, about the weather recently. We were like, we were just sitting, we spent like 20 minutes just talking about the weather. And finally it dawned on me that we had spent that much time doing that. And I go, are we really sitting around and talking about the weather? (laughs) And she goes, yes, yes, we are. Because we live in Minnesota and it's like a viable topic of conversation. It's not just like bullshit small talk where you're like, oh, how about that weather? No, you call your friend on the other end of the state and you're like, can you believe this bullshit? And we're all like, oh my God, I know. Don't go outside. Like the weather will affect your day. But at the same time, you still have to just like deal because it's Minnesota. I was watching in some of my earlier years in Australia, I was watching the regrettable Zach and Miri make a porno. And <laughs> the first five minutes of that movie where he's like trying to drive to work and it's like that snow is caked up behind the car tires in that lovely triangle. And it's just like <laughs> mud and slush. And it just, like, I'm, I was watching that and, like, having flashbacks. And my girlfriend at the time oh. was like, oh, they're exaggerating that, right? I'm like, no, no, it's the worst. No, that's it. And he, like, takes that hand warmer and just, like, shoves it down the front of his pants. Yeah. And it's like, and you're just like, oh. Yeah, trying but, to yeah, explain like, that you have to have two scrapers, one for the outside of the car and one for the inside of the car. Because as you're warming it up, ice will build up on the inside mm-hmm. from your breath. Oh, yeah. And see, like, because... I'm never that well prepared. I always have like the ice scraper for the outside. And then usually for whatever reason in high school, I always had like razor blades, just like regular razor. Like Seems legit. And yeah. I would just take a razor blade. <laughs> well, my I think a lot of the time, right at when I first started driving, I was driving my dad's truck and he just always had like tools and shit in it. Of those were like just like a pack of razor blades and I just take one out and scrape the ice off the inside. And also a lot of times you just get really lazy about it and you just scrape off enough to see. Yeah. <laughs> a little square about the size of like, like a dinner plate Your face. and you're good. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because you're just like, oh shit, I didn't, I didn't prepare for this. I knew, I no, all right, this is what I know where the road is. <laughs> I know where it's at. It's fine. The car knows the way. It's all good. <laughs> the car knows the way to work. It's fine. Ignore that screaming that it's making. No, just <laughs> no, nothing, nothing. No, it's fine. It's fine. Just that high pitch whine because your oil line's frozen. <laughs> like terrible all right so i feel like we've set the scene so whereabouts in minnesota did you grow up i grew up in two places technically i grew up in a suburb of minneapolis a suburb of the suburbs it was in anoka i lived there till i was about 11 or 12 and then my family moved us three hours north to this little town called walker minnesota it's right on leech lake I graduated from high school here, but I spent a lot of time back and forth before we moved because we had a cabin here. It was like a little summer home, and my dad's family is from here. I'm the fourth generation of our family to live in this weird little town. Okay. But mostly, yeah, mostly it was in Anoka. Which I have just looked up is not far from Hackensack, 
which I thought Hackensack was a joke place. Oh, oh, Walker, Minnesota. It's yeah, it's like 10 minutes from Hackensack, Minnesota. But here's the thing. The Hackensack that people know from like, oh, that Johnny Cash song, like I've been everywhere. The Hackensack he's talking about is Hackensack, New Jersey. Uh-huh. People say that all the time. They're like, oh, is that Hackensack? I'm like, no, they're talking about New Jersey. <laughs> Hackensack, Minnesota is like a town of 150 people. There's like two gas stations, a bait shop, three bars, and a Thai food restaurant. Whoa, Thai food. They're moving up. (laughs) They are. One of my girlfriends from high school, her family, she's from Thailand, and after high school, her mom was like, I'm going to open a Thai food place in the middle of nowhere, and it's the best Thai food. It's so amazing. It's (laughs) so good. And I love, because every time I go and sit there, there's at least one terrible person Oh boy. Who's just, well, not terrible, but they're just like, they don't understand how food works or like a themed restaurant. Yeah, this is strictly Thai food. And they come in, they're like, don't you have like chicken strips or like a hamburger on the menu? And she's so beautiful about it. She's like, if you want a cheeseburger, you can go down the street. (laughs) She's like, you came to the wrong establishment, my friend. And I'm like, that's how you have to handle it. Because she's like, nope, it's just so good. And they've done very, very well, which I'm so happy about. It's good to hear. I imagine you'd hear a lot of the other kind of stories where it's like, oh yeah, Thai restaurant opens in small town and nothing goes well from there. Yeah, exactly. Like it's just for some reason, like men in their 70s sit there and drink coffee for six hours at a time and no one orders food. That's usually what you hear about, but not the case. I go over, I drive past there like once a week and it's like people are parking on the other side of the street to get in. It's really cool. So in these varying poles of Minnesota, what sort of kid were you? Oh, I was a very dramatic child. I was a very, very dramatic child. I was not around kids a lot as a child. Like, I don't think I was really around kids my age until I was about, I want to say first grade. So what happened was my parents just always had me around their friends. And My parents' friends never talked to me like I was a child. They always talked to me like I was an adult. And then you add just, like, the general, like, I would watch a ton of Disney. And so between acting, like, just being talked to like an adult and then, like, just consuming nothing but Disney princess movies, I got to first grade and they're like, well, who are you? And I'm just like, well, I'm Kate swoon don't you know me like like rose in my teeth (laughs) kind of like just very dramatic i remember having vivid memories of like being upset as a child like just like throwing a small little tantrum because kids do that running from one side of the house to the other to like throw myself on my bed to cry dramatically (laughs) like like, woe is me i couldn't have a fudge pop (laughs) like it was just like my parents just kind of constantly going like (laughs) What have we done? You know, I sometimes wonder if the depictions of bratty children in media have actually given children more ideas on what is considered bratty and what is the height of their powers than <laughs> that stuff actually occurs naturally. Because I can recall... No, like, I absolutely agree. I think my littlest sister, who's 13 years younger, at one point went like flying into her room and slammed the door and was like rolling and kicking on the floor. I remember looking at it, I'm like, it <laughs> just looks uncomfortable. Like it doesn't... You're not achieving anything. We were all kind of just like more bemused than anything yeah it's like oh this is actually happening huh oh wow all right uh let's see how this plays out and the answer was it's very hard to maintain that level of tantrum for more than say five minutes because you just get tired 
Oh yeah. <laughs> it's like she, you do. She ended up just like laying, like she, she was quite little at the time. So she ended up just kind of laying there on the floor and just like, like bringing in these big heaving breaths because she's just like, <laughs> oh yeah, thrashing and kicking and screaming is hard work, and now my hands hurt and I don't know where to go from here. Yeah, and then you're just upset because you're like, why is that happening? <laughs> and so between being dramatic and then just being like i want to say weird but also kids are just weird in general like kids don't really have like a idea of how like social construct is Mm -hmm. so you just do you just do whatever and so there's i was a kid who like didn't play with like things i had toys and stuff but like my favorite toys were like rope Okay, I'm going to have to ask you to explain that and be very specific with what you mean. <laughs> My dad had, like, a workshop in our yard, this great big, like, pole barn-type workshop, because my dad has always worked on, like, he would work on the car in there or his friend's motorcycles, or my dad, like, restores classic wooden boats as, like, a hobby. That's cool. It is. It's really cool. He's he's just always has, like, these old wooden crisscrafts my whole life, which has been really neat. But there was always tools and, like, construction stuff just, like, laying around. And so I would be out in the yard and think that I was being creative. I was just, like, playing pretend. But, like, I would take my dolls and, like, tie them to trees. (laughs) (laughs) I think there's a subreddit for that. I'm sure there is. But, like, I was pretending that, like, you know, they were, like, some sort of damsel in distress. Someone had to come save them. But that was just in my head. When you, as an adult, when you walk out and see that, you're like, oh. And so my parents would come out of the house to, like, retrieve my younger brother and I for dinner. And there's just Barbie dolls strung from all of the trees in the yard. And I'm working on putting up another one. And they're just like, oh, no. Oh, no. (laughs) See, I thought that was going to end with, like, an Adam's Family scenario where it's like they come out and your little brother is tied upside down to a tree. (laughs) Uh, Fun story about that. Oh, no. Not a tree, but like, okay. So my dad told this story and it's horrifying, horrifyingly embarrassing for me. But now like as an adult, I think about it and it's funny as hell. My dad told this story at my first wedding and my brother and I, I hated my little brother. (laughs) I hated him with just the most passion because he stole my thunder and I couldn't forgive him for that. And also I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, from your description, you were a child that felt things deeply. You know, probably. And so (laughs) I was angry because he got to do a bunch of like cool boy stuff with my dad one day because I just wanted to hang out with dad. But like they were like sawing boards for like the boat and dad's just like no 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 go play in the yard but i wanted to help or something and so i was going to set a trap for my brother all right (laughs) and so what this it speaks greatly to my life because this is something that happened that backfired horribly and that's just followed me my entire life i'm like oh yeah this will work no it won't (laughs) what i did was i took there was just like a bunch of like thick rope in the yard for like pulling down like tree limbs or tying up the boat or something and i took it and i like wound it around the bottom of the slide and my dad at this point is standing in the yard and he tells the story all the time he's like I was, he was standing in the yard watching me do this going let's just sit back and see what she does because <laughs> i don't i don't know where this is gonna go i just picture me this like no 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 she's building to something <laughs> let her figure it out and so i'm just like stringing this rope around the bottom of the slide and the idea was that my brother was and by the okay i'm like 
four or five mm-hmm. at the time, just for context. The idea was that my brother goes down the slide and gets stuck. <laughs> <laughs> and then I would get to go hang out with dad. But being four or five, you you don't possess like real forward thinking and like cause you don't understand cause and effect. <laughs> and so I'm like, that looks good. I wonder if it works. Oh, no. <laughs> And so I went up the slide. It's at this point that my dad's like, okay, no, all right. And then I slid down the slide and got caught by my chin. Oh, no. Like, <laughs> so I'm just like, I like effectively like hung myself on like the slide. And my dad just like ran across the yard and just like pulled me up because I was tiny and like, it didn't take that much. He was just like, oh, there you go. And he set me down. He's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I don't know, playing. And I just like ran away. <laughs> And here's the thing, though, from the outside looking in, and again, mentioning that you were a dramatic child, it does seem like some sort of elaborate suicide machine. (laughs) It it seems like that, but really, I just wanted to hang out with Dad and, and, like, Jack to be sitting on the slide caught. I didn't think that it would, like, hang me. I thought his legs would just get, like, stuck, and then he just, like, wouldn't be able to get out. Like, that's what I thought, but no... Like, realistically, that was very dangerous, but I just was like, ah, this'll work. That'll teach him. (laughs) And, like, he would just be sitting on the slide, like, crying because he was stuck and I was off, like, hanging out with Dad and he wasn't. Like, And you would say, ah, ha, ha, mine is an evil laugh. It is fun to lead a bad girl's life. (laughs) That was the plan. That was the plan, just being... I was just like a tiny little bad bitch who didn't understand how shit worked. Like, that was it. I'm picturing less bad bitch. I'm picturing more like a tiny wily coyote. (laughs) I was very like a little snidely whiplash. Oh, better. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Although I I had to tell someone the other day, like we were talking about it and as it does in a bar, wacky races came up. And I had Mm -hmm. to put one to point out that usually when snidely whiplash would stop to cheat, he was already winning at that point. What? Yeah. In those cartoons, like, and they have a formula. He's normally winning by a good distance, and it's him stopping to, like, set a trap or screw someone over that leads to his eventual losing of the race. And I'm like, my dude, if you just, like, stay the course, you've got a fast <laughs> car. You're a good driver. You don't need to self-sabotage. But Yeah, you know. but he just did. Because, you know, Dudley had to do right and win. Because what else would we do? Well, like, if Stidely won, like, what would he do? He was so afraid of success. Oh, I just realized as you said that, I'm like, no, I just realized that I'm confusing Dick Dastardly and Stidely Whiplash. Because let's be fair, they're pretty <laughs> much the same person. I mean, they are. They are. No, Snidely Whiplash was always, well, I mean, but here's the thing. Snidely Whiplash did the same thing. Because I think that's just like a very mustachioed and top-hatted villain thing to do. Is just like get ahead and then cheat because you have to assure you're winning. Yeah. You know? But they, they were self-sabotaging. And that's unfortunate. I'm so sorry that they were so afraid of success. <laughs> I don't think they would know what to do if they actually succeeded. They'd be like, well, fuck, what do I do now? Like, that was my life's work. Dear God, what's next for me? And you realize, because we've discussed it somewhere on Tumblr, a whiplash dastardly family tree has sprung up. What? <laughs> you got to oh, imagine it has. Yeah. You know, it's just... I'm sure, but I need to read it. Like, someone, if, if, any, if it's out there, someone please forward it to me, because I want to read it so badly. <laughs> someone write it. Someone do it. It's like way back in colonial times, the original whiplashes 
and dastardlies were feuding clans who decided to join forces etc oh, is this like this hatfield and mccoy situation oh totally yeah which by the way i only knew they were a thing because there was a disney cartoon that involved like them shooting each other and all of them like sleeping in a pile like puppies and one guy like sleeping <laughs> under the moonshine's drip and it's like he would yawn and catch the drip every time when he was snoring and at one point he rolled over and it hit the ground and there was an explosion and everyone was mad at him. And I'm like, I was like five. I don't get any of these concepts. <laughs> no, that's the thing about that type of early media, like Dudley Do-Right and of course like Rocky and Bullwinkle. And it was very simple to understand because you're just like, oh, the concepts are not lost on you. I mean, mm -hmm. of course, like why wouldn't something be edible, but also extremely dangerous, you know, but you don't get that. Like when you're a kid, you're just like, yeah, sure. You just take it at face value. Yeah. You know, Rocky and Bullwinkle, Boris and Natasha were not a meditation on the, the Cold War and the incompetencies of the Soviet state. No, not at all. They were just hapless villains. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. They're punch clock bad guys. You didn't get that, but yeah, for sure. But then you watch it like as an adult and you're just like, oh. Like, oh no. Cartoons in the 60s were just throwing some solid shade at Russia. I love it so much, but I always watched Rocky and Bullwinkle with like my mom because that was on when she was a kid. And so it would be on like Boomerang or something like the Flintstones and Tom and Jerry and Rocky and Bullwinkle. And so we would always like get to sit down and watch it. And that was always like a really nice treat for me because it was always on really late at night. My dad and I had that with the, the Warner Brothers cartoons. Mm. Like, he really enjoyed, like, all the, again, Wile E. Coyote and, and oh God, I don't even know their names. Is it, like, Fred and Sam, who were the, the sheepdog and the coyote? And, mm. and the fact that they had to punch in and out every day and they were friends outside. But it's like they're punching in to be like, oh, hey, Fred. Hey, Sam. Oh, you did good today. Oh, thanks. I nearly got one. It's just like, <laughs> like that's this kind of, like, frankly, looking back, like that's a meta thing that I did not get. I'm like, what? why are they friends if they're trying to kill each other throughout the day? And it's like, I don't know. It's, it's a living. It's, I mean, someone's got to do it. And that's the thing about like those cartoons too, is like it was everywhere and it was very smart humor, but it was also very dry. And so dry humor tends to, it flies over your head, like why it's funny, like as a kid, but you know, it's funny. You just don't really understand why. You know, And it's something that I was talking with previous guest Matt Wilson about, where he was saying that he was introduced to noir concepts through parody, through cartoons, mm -hmm. through like Mel Brooks movies. Oh, God, you know? Mel Brooks. And this, this kind of thing where it's like, you don't get this, but because you're doing this, it teaches you the structure of the thing by making fun of the thing. But also it teaches you what to look for. Like you said, you know that it's funny, but you don't know why. Yeah, I love Mel Brooks so much. I didn't get into Mel Brooks, though, until I was in my, like, I was 19. I think I was, like, 19. Like, I, I remember, like, my ex-husband had, like, a copy of Bride of Frankenstein, and I had never seen it. And I was, like, hardcore unemployed at the time. And so I would just stay home and, like, clean. I was just, like, a housewife, but I didn't want to be a housewife. I just, like, had no choice because I couldn't get it. I couldn't. I was having a hard time finding a job. So I just, like, would clean all morning and do all this laundry and, like, go fill out applications and then just, like, go home and watch movies for, like, five, six hours. Yeah, it's something about when you have infinite time that you become a bit more, um, I'm not even going to say anything as cool as experimental, but I'm going to say that when you have nothing but time and 
resources at your disposal, you just start to take in anything that's there. Mm -hmm. And my example of that is I was going to TAFE, which is like a sort of a community college type thing when I was first here in Australia on my student visa, and which I took to stay in the country. And what I would do is because I didn't really like anyone that I went to TAFE with, well, at least not at the time, it was sort of a, a weird mixed bag of a class. We would be given an hour and a half for lunch because of the way the class schedule was set up. And I'm just like, I don't want to go and like look at stores and stuff I can't afford. So I would go to the library and I would look at their VHS library of the kind of stuff <laughs> that never got translated to DVD. So you would just be able to mm. just like grab a tape, walk over to a little TV with a built-in VCR and just start watching. And that's how I watched most of the Marx Brothers movies. Oh. And that's how I watched Metropolis. And that's how I watched The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. And all of these classic films. Because I was just like, eh, you know, it's free. The risk is entirely zero. I have an hour and a half to kill. Let's see what the big deal is. Yeah. And that's so perfect. And, and so much of that stuff, like, goes, like, ignored now, mm. I guess. Those really classic movies and, and like, TV shows that just, like, you you never hear about it anymore but they're very shaping and like what we see today as far as movies go and and that's just so wonderful and really it's like the worry with some of those is that because they were so formative when you watch them now you think okay they seem some of them seem surprisingly modern and some of them seem very old-fashioned but they don't have that impact because so many things after it have become that thing it's like you know showing seinfeld to someone who's like 15 now yeah and it's like well no it, literally every sitcom that came after that was pretty much this so this the originator doesn't seem as funny because those all are all iterations and it seems like an also ran yes i was kind of in a spot when i was a kid that i was just like consuming that media when i was a kid i was still into the things that were like popular with kids my age like you know i, I liked pokemon and pokemon <laughs> <laughs> I'm really into Harry Potter as a kid, and I watched a lot of, like, wrestling and other things. And so I was into those things, but, like, when I was at home with my parents, they were weirdly not selective about what they showed me and my brother. Okay. Example, and in the best way, but, like, an example would be, like, I watched, I think, Braveheart, like, not long after it came out. I was pretty small. Like, <laughs> I want to say I was six. And my parents were just like, we're watching Braveheart and you guys can do whatever, but this is what we're doing. And I remember sitting, like, I have vivid memories of watching Mel Gibson smash that man's head in with a morning star and being very small. And then ride a horse out of, like, a third floor window. <laughs> yeah, into, into, like, a river. They didn't really, like, think, they knew my brother and I were, or they liked to think that my brother and I were smarter and, like, could tell the difference between, like, reality and media. And so they just would... They would just watch whatever. And a lot of that was stuff like Star Trek, like the original series mm -hmm. and the Addams Family and the Monsters. When I was little, my mom had us during the day because she worked nights and my dad worked days. So he had us at night. And when we were home with dad, like our nightly ritual was to just like watch all these old movies and TV and we had it all on VHS. And so I spent, I don't know how many years watching like all of Star Trek, the original series before like the age of seven. And then also John Wayne movies really big in my house. I remember being probably about four or five. We were driving up from like Anoka to Walker and we got 
in and it was very, very late. And I was never a child that could sleep, just always struggled. And I still to this day, like, I'm just not like a good sleeper. I sleep like three to five hours average. And so we would get there and like my brother was already asleep and mom would just be like, I'm going to bed. I was wide awake. And so my dad would just prop me up on the couch with like a sippy cup full of chocolate milk and put on like the shootest <laughs> or Big Jake, which is, or, or Big Jake or a Sons of Katie Elder, The Quiet Man, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, which is a great oh, movie. Yes. I love that. Jimmy Stewart in that movie is just so good. And also, God, why can't I think of his name right now? Lee. Lee Marvin. Lee Marvin, thank you. Dear God. <laughs> I know it so well. And the second I have to say it, I'm like, oh no. <laughs> just Lee Marvin in that in that movie. It, it's so good. It had this like magical power of like relaxing me and putting me to sleep. And not because it was boring, but just because it was everywhere. And I was just like, oh, okay, we're home. So I can sleep now, you know. And so John Wayne movies were always really big in my family. And it taught me, I don't know how, how to say this correctly. Like, I never looked at things. I, I always thought of, like, everything that I encountered as, like, a John Wayne movie. There's always something else happening in every situation. Because there was always, look at The Man Who Shot Liberty Balance. You had this beautiful story of this man who had been held up at gunpoint and a coach and kind of just left for dead, more or less. And he just kind of ends up in this town being taken care of. And he's a lawyer and he's trying to get his profession off the ground, but he's just kind of washing dishes for this couple. And he meets this girl that works for him, but she's involved with John Wayne, who is just kind of a dick in that movie. Like, absolutely just an asshole. Just the definition of your nominal hero, like not even quite an anti-hero, just like, hey, the film tells us this guy's a hero. Yeah, exactly. Because he, he had really great intentions, not so much with the girl. He was just very possessive and, and shitty about her. But he wanted to see this guy succeed, but it was just kind of like that tough love. I'm going about this in like just a really hard way. You got to do it on your own two feet or you don't do it at all kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. And so with that whole movie, and then also there was the whole situation with Liberty Balance, who was Lee Marvin, being just a villain. Like he was, but I mean, not only was he just like a general villain and like terrorizing small town folk coming in and drinking everyone's moonshine and, and then like shooting up the town as he left on horseback, but you also had his gang like fighting for territory, kind of almost like protection money, but not at all that. They had all this territory and the government was trying to like kind of get local government set up in these areas, but no one wanted to touch it because it was just a whole lot of nothing and Liberty Valance just kind of ran shit. And so then you have Jimmy Stewart running for local office and trying to like get everything set up there, but then also being challenged by Liberty Valance. And at the end of the day, he has a face off with him and kills him, just kills him dead. And then you find out that Jimmy Stewart really didn't kill him. It was John Wayne because he knew that Liberty Valance would kill him. And he didn't want to see this girl hurt by that. So he kind of takes over and doesn't take the credit for it, but just kind of continues being a dick, I guess, would be the thing. <laughs> he had these great intentions, but chose not to accept praise or anything for it. And so it was just a... And I, I'm watching that movie, and I'm like seven. Because <laughs> <laughs> my parents were just like, ah, it's fine. That was always a really big deal in our house, was John Wayne movies. I think 
that one and The Quiet Man, John Ford's The Quiet Man. Easily one of my favorite films of all time. There's a thing from that movie that I say all the, all the time, just mostly jokingly, but it's just like, he's like, write his da- name down, strike a line through it. Like, it's like, I'm done with him. He's <laughs> on the list. <laughs> and I say that constantly over over nothing. Like, oh, sh- I forgot to pick up milk. Ah, I've written your name down, stricken a line through it. Get out of my house. Never come back. You're banished. Like, it's just like this great sarcasm. But Yeah, my dad picked up from the searchers. He picked up the We're Burning Daylight. And as a family that did lots and lots of road trips, it was slap some bacon on a biscuit and let's go. We're burning daylight. <laughs> That's so perfect. Isn't it? It's also like peak dad. <laughs> oh, absolutely. My dad's got one that he says to us, and I never realized it until recently that it was from a John Wayne movie because it was never a movie that was really on the docket, I guess, with us. I honestly can't remember what it's about, but it's one of the movies where he's on a boat. And as he tends to do, you have three types of John Wayne movies. You have Westerns, you have World War II movies, and then you just have everything else. So like, you know, The Quiet Man or some of his more dramatic social biopic kind of stuff. There's this part where he's got, he's just got like this boat full of kids. And I think they were actually his children in the movie. (laughs) Like his children were playing his children. And he's walking away from the boat and the kids are just being kids and they're just kind of roughhousing. And he just like turns around and he goes, sit down in the boat. And he just like keeps walking. And (laughs) my dad said that to us constantly in the exact same cadence. And I never got it. I thought it was my dad genuinely just being like, hey, 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 we're in a boat. (laughs) Sit down. Oh, that's the thing is that there's stuff that you internalize from child and don't realize that things are there so one and things i'm going to be a parent myself in the next couple of months and i look <gasps> forward congratulations. to congratulations oh thank you i look forward to using several like similar inscrutable references that the kid will just assume is me yeah <laughs> but first off my mom used to always say if we were standing on the couch or something it'd be sit down this is a living room not a jungle gym ah uh, yes and i I said that at one point to, because my girlfriend has uh, two nieces and a nephew, and they were jumping on the couch. And I said so that, that to them, and I heard it come out of my mouth and crystallize in the air, and I sort of froze. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, oh no. No. But the other one that took me many, many years to work out was that whenever, like, one of us was trying to think of something, like, oh, it was, you know, it was that movie with that guy in it. Whenever like anything was in question and my dad had to come up with a fake title to kind of troll us, he would always say, the rise and fall of Fliggle Bunt. And I would go, <laughs> no. And it's like, like, this lasted like 10 years. The rise and fall of Fliggle Bunt. And it was played by Bernie Strangeways. And like a whole, like he had like five different names that he would pull out that apparently starred in this rise and fall of Fliggle Bunt. And it took me, like, I, honestly, I was 24 and working in a Borders in Sydney, Australia. And I was flipping through like CDs that I was shelving. And I got to the S section of pop rock. And there's a band called The Shadows who play like instrumental surf music. And they do like Apache and stuff like that. So very famous to a certain population in the 60s. And I was putting one of the CDs back. And it said it had a sticker on it said featuring Apache and the rise and fall of Flingle Bunt. And I dropped <laughs> the CD. <laughs> I was just like... Polex, I could not believe it. And I called my dad that night. And I'm like, Dad, so, the rise and fall of Flinkle Bunt, huh? <laughs> and he got quiet for a minute, and he, and he went, I'm so proud of you. 
<laughs> it only took 15 fucking years for you to figure it out with no clues no clues at all not hey it's from this song but no it was just a yeah. thing and you know that's that's that stuff that you really hope to attain as a parent like just <laughs> doing that to your kids oh that's beautiful that's beautiful isn't it so okay this is the moment where i kind of switch gears a little bit mm-hmm. i guess and you know i've talked a lot about john wayne the other big thing and i think this is the john wayne was always really big to me just because everything john wayne always reminds me of my dad mm-hmm. my dad i guess was one of the really big influences in like the media i consumed and especially the music. There was always music in our house, and most of it was like Frank Sinatra. And so I grew up always listening to like Frank Sinatra and classic, like uh, there was always Elvis, there was always Johnny Cash, but mostly like Marty Robbins. There was a lot of Marty Robbins. Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to digress. I love Marty Robbins. I love Marty Robbins so much. My dad had a white tape of the greatest hits of Marty Robbins. That would be oh my God. on repeat, and El Paso, and Big Iron, and oh the my God, the Alamo, and my heart has mm-hmm. a mind of its own, and oh my God, <laughs> I think it's the album that Marty Robbins put out was Gunfighter Ballads and Trail Songs. Oh, that's the album that El Paso and and Big Iron and stuff and yeah. Big Iron on. Yeah, fun story. I actually lived in El Paso for a while. No, I loved and okay so. I remember always being in my dad had like this late 80s Ford pickup truck, like just like a single cab F-150. It was silver and gray. And like, I remember the seats had like, it wasn't like upholstery. It was just like that fake wire mesh that they just like put... (laughs) Yep. It was just like this weird truck. It was always dirty because my dad's a truck driver. Like he works with crude oil. And so he would get off work, drop his truck off and then get in his silver and black truck covered in crude oil and drive home. So it was always just like a little bit gross, the truck. And I remember just being in the front seat of the car and always listening to like Marty Robbins Big Iron specifically and El Paso, like that album he always had in the tape deck. So we fast forward to 2011 and I'm living in El Paso, Texas. And it's at that point in time that I really, really dug deep into like the Fallout series of video games. Mm -hmm. Because at the time, not only was I unemployed, but like I had nothing to do. And my ex-husband was very into those video games. He got really into them while he was serving in Iraq. And I ended up kind of bedridden for like a solid week. I had a really severe kidney infection. Oh, that's no good. Yeah, because no one told me that I couldn't drink the tap water in El Paso. (laughs) Oh, no. And I come from a place where you just have well water. So you just, it's always safe. And so the water was not good. And no one told me. So I'd been drinking the tap water for like a month and ended up with a kidney infection. So they're like, you need to just like lay down all the time. And so I had nothing to do. My ex-husband recommended that I start playing fallout because he's like you know you're kind of into this 50s thing you might like this video game because i didn't i didn't really play video games outside of like the lego games or whatever bullshit easy games people had laying around i never really got into video games real hard until later in life it was right i think not long after fallout new vegas had come out yeah it was like two years later i started playing it because i was like okay i guess i'll give it a shot and i'm playing it and i'm just running around the mojave and i'm just like this is amazing this is so great like i love this game this is really cool i love the concept i I hadn't played any of the games prior to that now 
I've just like sunk my teeth so deep into that game series that I'm irreversibly like you'll never get me out. It's just a sinkhole. <laughs> and But I'm running around and my ex comes home from work. He's like, you're not even playing with the music on. And I go, what do you mean? There's game music. He's like, no, 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 there's radio stations. And he like takes the controller from me, switches on the radio station. I'm like, oh, that's cool. That's really neat. And so I'm running around and all of a sudden Big Iron by Marty Robbins <laughs> comes on. And I lost my shit. Oh my God. I like got up like out of bed I like <laughs> ran into the kitchen and was like babe babe they're playing big iron <laughs> he's like yeah i'm like no 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 no. you don't understand you don't under-. like i stopped I, I paused the game and called my dad like i was so <laughs> i was so pumped about it i love marty robbins so much and, and and what's really cool is if you ever listen to the song running gun yeah by marty robbins yeah it is kind of the parallel tale to Big Iron. In Big Iron, you know, you just hear of this Arizona Ranger who's hunting down Texas Red because he's this villain. We must get him. He was here to catch an outlaw back alive or maybe dead. He said it didn't matter. He was after Texas Red. Exactly. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. And when you listen to uh, Running Gun, it's about the outlaw. You know, it's the song of the outlaw, which is just so lovely to me. Mm. That you know, that's I, I love that aspect of like Marty Robbins' music and the the storytelling. And really, it's like if you add in El Paso to that. I mean, El Paso at like the last like verse and a half of El Paso, he runs away after shooting somebody in a bar and he hides out mm-hmm. and then eventually comes back and that's what gets him killed. You could almost say like running gun is what's happening in between those two verses. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, so you're really getting all aspects of the spectrum. Although, hey, anyone who wants to kickstart my Marty Robbins cinematic universe, I'm here just saying. <laughs> oh God, how fucking great would that be? Ah, so good. Oh, it'd be so, I would watch, I would watch it. I would watch it. Like I would like and subscribe. Like, ugh. <laughs> To that particular channel i assume it would have to be a youtube series because that's how anything gets done oh it would have to be like a fallout boy style like 16 minute mini movie per song yes oh so good i mm, okay so <laughs> i i have to stop you said fallout boy and if i don't <laughs> i i have to stay on track otherwise we're just gonna get into like the discography of of fallout boy <laughs> and that's if anyone wants to hear about it, go back to, we have previous episodes on My Chemical Romance and the Minnesota ska scene, and so uh, please feel free to drop back uh, to hear all about Umbrella Bed and many other Minnesota legends. There was one really weird band out of Minnesota that, oh my god, why can't I remember the name of it now? Never mind, it's not important. Was it the Drop Steppers? No. I know about that. <laughs> no, I, I haven't thought about it since MySpace. There was this really weird band out of Minneapolis that had, like, three really great, like, weird electronic punk songs. My girlfriend Elsie was really, really into them. But, no, Marty Robbins was amazing. Oh, okay, so, if you know, like, that genre music recently, I went out to Las Vegas last month for the 20th anniversary Viva Las Vegas Rockabilly Weekend convention. I, like, died a little bit. I was so happy to go. Like, my mom and I went. Oh, wow. 
Yeah, my mom and I went. That was like my, I had like last year, like 2016, was just like historically a bad year. I had like a really bad year. <laughs> like it just wasn't good. I worked really hard and I came a long way. Like I got divorced last year and like moved a couple of times and like finally got into my own place. And it's just been kind of, it was just kind of a battle year. And my mom called me on New Year's Day and was like, you know, your stepdad wants to send you and I to Vegas and he wants us to go in like two weeks but I told him that we should go in April because there's this convention that you want to go to and I fell on the floor like because I've wanted to go for eternity and I just never have been able to so she was like you know I want to take you it's been a rough year let's just go you you've worked really hard let's just you deserve it and so we went and it was not only it was like amazing because i got to like meet a couple of my internet friends which was really cool and then like see just like the fashion and of course the cars and everything is great but the music the music like i got to see wanda jackson oh wow yeah holy crap yeah she's like ancient and she just came out and i was like three people back from the front of the stage and she just came out and like melted my face for like an hour yeah it's like i've got that album that jack white produced of hers i've got it on vinyl oh my god it's so good and she can still get that burr in her voice and just like, yeah, mm-hmm. knock your socks off. Yeah, I'm a huge Amy Winehouse fan. And usually when I do karaoke, like Amy, I do a bunch of Amy Winehouse um, just because she's in my vocal range and she's amazing. But Wanda Jackson saying, you know, I'm no, no good. good. Oh, and what's funny is that it's a sad song for me, Amy Winehouse. It's a funny song for Wanda Jackson. Oh, yeah. She just like does it with like a shrug and a wink. Like, hey, you know, you knew when you got into this. Yeah. Yeah, you, you knew what was up. Yeah, she's very cavalier about it. It. absolutely it's so good but like i could have dropped dead and they would have just buried me at the stage and i could have lived <laughs> i would have been happy just to die right there so i wanted jackson uh, i saw sonny burgess freddie cannon mm-hmm. and freddie cannon by the way came out and like at the end of his set because chuck berry had passed away just a couple of weeks prior freddie cannon did like this whole like medley of like chuck berry's music which was amazing and he like got out there and straight up just like threw shade at elvis Ooh. <laughs> which in the room full of your like you're at a, a rocket which it was amazing because actually my friend dan who i mentioned earlier threw this theory at me and this genuine belief that chuck berry is the godfather of rock and roll and freddie cannon pretty much got out there and said he's like you know what elvis he was great but long before there was elvis there was chuck berry and he just always did it and he did it better than everyone else so let's pay homage to chuck and it was great also freddie cannon's entire band they all had lucha masks on excellent i know like i wasn't expecting that when they came out i was just like wait wait the guitar player is wearing a lucha wait everyone's wearing a lucha mask (laughs) i'm like this is great i got to see the reverend horton heat (laughs) see i just imagined that horton heat would be just a really fun show Oh, it was. It was so great. I wish that I could have enjoyed it more, but I was coming down, like, from a heat stroke. Oh, that's no good. I Well, I'm very pale, and, like, I don't do well in, like, direct sunlight or heat at all. And also, you were in Nevada. I was in Nevada, and it was, he played outside at the car show, and I, like, I brought a parasol <laughs> with me. Like, just, a, like, a giant paper umbrella to walk around with. 
And then I forgot it at the hotel before I left for the car show. And I wore like a black dress that day. I mean, like I went all out and then I called my mom. I'm like, hey, shit, I forgot my parasol. It is hot as fuck out here. (laughs) Will you bring it to me? And she's like, absolutely. She's like, you have your sunscreen? I'm like, of course I do. What do you think this is? And so my mom showed up four hours later. I was so sick. (laughs) And so we're sitting under this tent, like eating. And I'm like trying to hold myself up. I'm like, I'm fine. I'm good. It's cool. And mom's like, no, we're going to go inside and you're going to cool down. But I was like, but the reverend's playing. So we, she stood and I got to watch like 20 minutes of the reverend play before she was like, we have to go in. Otherwise, you're going to pass out. So, <laughs> <laughs> But also at that same show, like Lee Rocker of the Stray Cats mm-hmm. was playing. Brenda Lee <laughs> was playing. <laughs> that was amazing. There were so many bands. One night, and this was insane to me, like the la- one of the last nights they did kind of this. It wasn't so much rockabilly, but it was like pop. It was like a lot of doo-wop. Okay. What, because, you know, that kind of falls into the rockabilly genre. Like a lot of people that listen to like classic rockabilly music also listened to the pop music of the time, which would have been like doo-wop, just like your soda shop hits kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. The cleft tones were there. <laughs> and they were so great. Like they sang, I only have eyes for you. Ooh. It was as good as it was the first time I ever heard it on one of their albums. But one of the gentlemen was pretty old and had to sit for the entire thing, which is understandable. But he still did like the big sweeping, like choreographed hand motions oh, from excellent. his chair. And I was just like, you, you love everything about what you're doing. And it was so good, but it was just such a privilege to like go out there and see all this music. But honestly, I think, I think Wanda Jackson was probably the one that really got me. There was a lot of really modern rockabilly there too, which I really loved, like Kim Lentz and the Jaguars and Ruby Ann was there and it was all wonderful. I didn't get to stay for Kim Lentz, which kind of bummed me out. I chose not to stay because I, (laughs) I threw my back out. Like, right before I left for Vegas, like, the day before. There's an Australian expression. When you see someone who looks like they've had a rough day, or you hear about that they've been having some bad times, you'll say, wow, you've been in the wars. And it sounds like this trip, you had been in the wars. It was a time, but I was going to be a trooper and get it done. But, like, yeah, I threw my back out doing a haircut for an 11-month-old the day before. Because I literally had to do the haircut on my hand, uh, like, on my knees. Oh, wow. And, like, working from that angle is just such a terrible angle. I'm not half-assing this trip, and I'm in, like, platform heels the entire trip. So by, like, 11 o'clock at night, I was like, I'm going to die. I need to sit down. Oh, my God. And finally, that night, I was just like, I got to go. Like, (laughs) I'm going back to the hotel. I'm sorry, guys. I want to party, but I can't. (laughs) With my back. So if there's one lesson to be taken from this show, tip your baby stylist. They're working real hard. We really, really are. So, Cherry, if people wanted to find your stuff on the internet, where would they go? You could find me on Instagram and Tumblr and Twitter, and it's just at Cherry LaRuckus. Cherry, the fruit, capital L, little a, capital R-U-C-K-U-S. Also, if you wanted to, like, if you're a fan of the Fallout games and you want to check out some of my fan work, find me at Fallout MN on Tumblr. Okay, great. Thanks very much. This has been great. I am now going to listen to so much Marty Robbins over the next couple of days. Oh, my God. I'm going to annoy the hell out of my girlfriend. It's so good. (laughs) I'll be listening, and I'm going to turn to her with that face, that, huh? 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 (laughs) You know, you know it's good. It's good music. (laughs) Just enjoy it. Just, just, just 
it's it's fine it's just marty robbins that's all <laughs> all right cherry thanks very much thank you thank you this has been a pleasure Thank you very much to Sherry Laruckus for her time. In light of this rather old-fashioned episode, I decided to reach back, way back, and revive an 87-year-old cocktail for the occasion. It's not in its classic form, I had to cowboy it up a little bit, but I think it fits the theme. Originally it was known as the Blood and Sand, but today I've rechristened it the Texas Red. In a shaker full of ice, combine three quarters of an ounce of bourbon, three quarters of an ounce of sweet vermouth, three quarters of an ounce of fresh squeezed orange juice. And I don't mean from the carton, I mean get an orange, cut it in half, and squeeze out three quarters of an ounce. You'll thank me later. Finally, add three quarters of an ounce of cherry hearing. Now, cherry hearing is a cherry liqueur, but it's also not the cherry brandy you see at the bottom of your bar's shelf that tastes like you drop a lifesaver into a bottle of cough syrup. Instead, cherry hearing which is based on a recipe that is 199 years old this year, adds a surprising complexity to the drink. Put the top on your shaker and shake the bejesus out of this thing. I'm not kidding. This drink needs a real hard shaking. If you're not sweating, you're not doing it right. Strain into a cocktail glass and serve. Garnish with, what else, a cherry. There was 40 feet between them when they stopped to make their play, and the swiftness of the barman is still talked about today. Texas Red had not cleared shaker, for a drink was fairly sipped, and the barman's aim was deadly with the big iron on his hip. Enjoy. To the town of Alfrey who rode a stranger one fine day Hardly spoke to folks around him, didn't have too much to say No one dared to ask his business, no one dared to make a slip The stranger there among them had a big iron on his hip Big iron on his hip It was early in the morning when he rode into the town The Math View is recorded in Leichhardt, New South Wales, Australia and is written, hosted and edited by yours truly, Lucas Brown New episodes are released every Wednesday and if you'd like to be a guest on the show simply send an email to themathofyou at gmail.com and tell us what you'd like to talk about You can follow the show on Twitter at themathofyou and you can follow my wacky adventures at Lokified L-O-K-I-F-I-E-T on Twitter and Instagram and Lokified82 on Snapchat. If you have a few dollars in your pocket and would like to directly support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash Lokified and pledge as little as a dollar a month. Or you can pledge as much as you want. You can pledge a thousand dollars. That would be real great. You get early access to episodes, physical mail, cursive tweets, and really, I would just really appreciate it. If you'd like to support non-monetarily, you can go to iTunes in the country of your choice and leave a nice five-star rating. 
It helps people find the show, and you can also leave a review. I'll even read them out on the show. Won't that be nice? If you like the music I play on the show, there's a Spotify playlist for that. Go to bit.ly slash themathofyou, with capitals at the beginning of each word, to find a playlist full of music going back to the very first episode, featuring every song I've ever used, including this one. Yeah, it's Big Iron by Marty Robbins. I'm sorry, I couldn't resist. That playlist is updated every Wednesday the moment the episode goes live, so subscribe to get that new music in your ears every week. Next week, I'll be talking to Kieran Shiak, co-founder of the Good Egg Podcast Network and writer of the newly kickstarted comic Mossy about The Flash, Superman, pro wrestling, and faking it to you make. Join me, won't you? When they walked out in the street Folks were watching from the windows Everybody held their breath they knew Yeah, you know, and see, I live, like, above a store so, Like, I live in, like, an apartment A little one-bedroom apartment above a store And so in the winter, it's really nice Because the, the store downstairs has the heat on And the heat just comes up through my floor Oh, cool so Yeah, so it's, like, super toasty but in the summer, it's the same thing. So I'm, I'm getting heat from the roof, and then also the store downstairs, and I come home, and it's like 90 degrees in my apartment, and I'm like, dear God. So you've already rented a flat over a shop, and the next step will be to cut your hair and get a job, I guess? <laughs> and the heat coming up through the floors, it's very Roman. You can just, like, claim that you're, like, a throwback. <laughs> just do that, yeah. And you're like, I'm living above a modern hypocost, and that hole in the ceiling is a private atrium. <laughs> totally not just, you know, from the tree that fell in last week's storm. <laughs> no, that was intent. I did that on purpose. Yeah, the bat is technically classed as a flatmate. Exactly that. And, you know, he never steals my milk, which is more than I can say for most flatmates. <laughs> I never have to worry about it. <laughs> he's, you know, he's, he's polite. He has the courtesy to ask. <laughs> like I said, it's, it, the day's just starting for me. Like, I just came from a weekend full of, like, baby showers and dinners out and stuff. But it was a cool kind of baby shower. Like, we went to one, and it was at this pub where the, the lady who's having the baby normally does her, like, 90s hip-hop DJing. So what? it was pretty cool. Yeah, she does a, a night called Shoop which is legit one of the most fun, like, kind of club nights I've ever been to because it's just all, like, it's, like, 95 to, like, 2002 hip-hop, which is, like, my prime, like, high school years. So it's, like, everything that would have been played at a high school dance, and everybody gets up and dances, and it's great. That's fucking amazing. Like, I, okay, so with my job and DJing, I very mm -hmm. seldom get to do, like, themed nights, which, bum which bums me out a lot just because... There are a lot of people that will come out, like, for context, like, I go to bars and I run karaoke shows and, mm -hmm. like, provide dance music, but then I also DJ, like, weddings. Okay. And especially, like, in this weird little town that I live in, like, we get a ton of different age groups of people in mm -hmm. the same bar because the bar in Walker that is, like, the bar, like, if you want to go have a good time and not remember much, <laughs> you go to, surprisingly, the Walker Legion Club, it's like a VFD. W, which surprises the hell out of people when I tell them that. I live in a tourist town, and so people, especially like being a hairstylist, and I'm like behind the chair. People sit down, they're like, "So it's the weekend. Where do we, like where do we want to go if we want to like have a real good time this weekend?" I go, "Oh, the Legion." And people go, "What? Like the American Legion? Like 
if the veterans club like full of old men who sit there at their drinks i'm like yeah that place and you're like hey if that's not a good time to you get out of my chair <laughs> yeah no you, that's my bar like don't talk shit about my bar and i was like unfortunately like fortunately and unfortunately i was a patron of that particular establishment long before like i was employed there and so, like, I knew all the bartenders and, like, everyone that came in there for the most part, like, all the locals anyway, already. And so that made it really, really easy to do my job. Because then I come in and I'm like, oh, George is here. Better queue up Unchained Melody because he's going to want to sing it three times. <laughs> but then, you know, it's because, like, when I work, I work from, I start at, like, 8 p.m. and I get done at 1 and from a lot of times from like eight to ten it's just kind of me doing fuck all <laughs> like i play to the room and i take requests and it's a lot of karaoke and then what what happens is everyone who works in the service industry here like if you're a bartender or a server or you work at a hotel or a resort most of those people are starting to get off work ah uh, yes and so then you get like the like gen x millennial crowd that comes <laughs> and they get very they they want to hang out have like three or four drinks before i really get into it and then they just want to dance and it provides a lot of entertainment for me being that i'm usually not drinking when i'm working but i don't ever get to do like nights where i'm like oh i'm just gonna play 80s top hits for five hours <laughs> or you know like the best of 2010 like that's no i wish i could but it like just just doesn't sell here because there's too there's too much variation in who's at the bar. And if I do that, I'm bound to piss off someone. <laughs> it ha it happens often enough. Like I had a woman. I was in the other night. This would have been like two weeks ago. I was working a Saturday night. It was really really great. And there was like a bachelor party out. There was a group of college dudes from out of town. There was like a family reunion and then just like scattered vacationers. And it's like 12:30, which means that I'm mostly just playing like top 40 dance hits. I think I was playing bad and bougie at the time. <laughs> and I had this woman come up to me and she was like, could you play anything else? And I'm like, well, what? what? You're like, I could. Technically, yes, I could. It is within my power to do so. Although now that you've said that, I just want to flip this motherfucker on repeat. I do. <laughs> exactly. Because I love you. Oh, you're my favorite. <laughs> But then she did, she was like, could you play some country? Which is like the exact opposite of, I'm like, wow, that's like a 180 switch. I'm like, you're like, let me reach back into my 45 bag and pull out the Grundy County auction by John Michael Montgomery and really light this, this place up. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Well, so what she did, which is what surprised me, because most of the time people will throw requests into me and I'm like, yeah, sure. I'll be very nice about it. And then I will, uh, people just say thank you and like walk away. And, and so I'm like, yeah, I can play you some country. You might need, uh, give me like two songs to transition out of this, but I can totally do that. And she pulled out her wallet and she threw, she like handed me a 20 and she's like, get it. nice. And she's like, get it done. And like walked away from me. I'm like, all right, like, sure. It's your money, lady. We're, we're doing a hard left into Merle Haggard just for you. Yup. Yup. You know, I got, I got some Conway Twitty if you like Con Conway. Oh, yes. <laughs> play hello darling for the last 20 minutes of my set <laughs> <laughs> we're just gonna sit down with mr twitty and take it down a notch everybody get comfy get your irish coffees ready <laughs> traffic and weather together on the fives and tens here on 105.3 the cat <laughs> <laughs> one of my okay so one of my favorite like weird conway twitty moments because everyone's got one also, right i i kind of i, I kind of love the fact that you have like different levels of Conway Twitty moments you're like 
of these Conway Twitty moments, you know, ranked A to M in to in the in the 2010s. <laughs> yeah, that's that's you know, because every I mean everyone's got that right. Yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. it's Conway Twitty. No, one of my favorite Con <laughs> Conway Twitty. Well, it's very it's a hard name to say with a Minnesota accent. Was at my, my friend Dan's house. My Dan is a radio DJ on Real Punk Radio. He does the Thursday night wrecking pit of just like psychabilly, trash rock, surf rock. And him and his wife, Chris, are like my favorite couple of all time. <laughs> They're just insane, ridiculous people, and I love them. And we're in their basement where he does his recording and we're playing music. There's like 50 people in the basement or something. And he's just sitting there like sipping his bourbon. All of a sudden, Conway Twitty comes on. And I hadn't heard Conway Twitty for like 10 years. I kind of had this moment of like no it can't be and I was I looked around I'm like Conway Twitty really and Dan <laughs> looks at me slams his drink slams the dr- the glass back on the table and looks at me he goes you got a fucking problem with Conway Twitty <laughs> <laughs> and I was like no no I don't because I feel like if I challenged your music selection I might be barred from your house or you might glass me or something <laughs> you know no big deal no I, like he's he's just like this older punk dude who just like got into like rockabilly music they just have like little boston terriers running around and shit tons of taxidermy it's a weird house and i love it so much (laughs) i was gonna say if anyone who's been to a dog park knows it's the boston terriers that start shit oh yeah (laughs) they're just scrappy little things you know (laughs) i have those moments djing where it's just like oh all right sure it's like cool i'll play uptown girl for you person at a bachelor party sure (laughs) Gotcha. No. Ow. Ow, you little fucker. Anyway, sorry, my cat. <laughs> With DJing, every now and again, it very, very seldom happens where I just have to look at someone and say, no, I can't do that. I can't. Because a lynch mob will form and it's just going to be a bad scene. One of those times was in Walker. There's a like a weird little midwinter fishing festival. It's like an ice fishing festival. It's just packed from the door. We have six or seven bouncers within my line of sight. And I have chicken wire set up around my equipment. <laughs> like chain- The roadhouse special. <laughs> yeah. Chain link fence. And I had about, oh, a foot between the wall and like the post that I had to like move between if I wanted to like go to the bathroom or get like a fresh drink or something. It was heel pout, which means that it's packed from the door to my equipment. It's like 12.30 and the dance is packed. And I'm already having like a bad night. Like it was just like, personally for me, it was just like a garbage day. I like tried to get out of working because I was like, I cannot like be around people today. And this guy comes up to me and he comes around the chain link and he's, you know, I, I'm real tall and he is was not. And he comes up and he gets like, he's like hanging off my chain link. And he's like, Uh-oh. hey, hey, play Gypsy Road by Cinderella. Okay. <laughs> and I'm just like, no. No, I'm not going to do that. Read the room, sir. No, I, I, no. where were you three hours ago? I would have played it. Like, <laughs> he's like, you're going to play it. I'm like, I'm really not. Toodle. He walks away and he comes back about 15 minutes later. You didn't play my song. Yeah, because I told you I wasn't going <laughs> to. And he's like, you're really not going to play it. I'm like, no, no, I'm not. Because it's going to kill my dance floor. And sorry, but I'm not going to do that. And this man like takes his warm Bud Light, chugs a bunch of it, gets right up to the chain link and spits it on me. Oh, no. <laughs> you've never no. you've never seen like, a chubby girl squeeze between something so fast. <laughs> it's just like 
come here! Like, <laughs> <laughs> Just picturing you picking him up with the scruff of his neck and <laughs> squirming like in a cartoon. Yes. <laughs> what do you think? And this? stay out. Get out! And he like immediately just like backed off, like, oh fuck, no! I was just like, I am having a shit week. I will take you down with me. Let's go. Fuck Cinderella. <laughs> Let's just like, oh. And I, I don't mind Cinderella, but it's just like, get a, get away from me. So, <laughs> oh my god. It's it's a weird it's a weird career that I have. 